as I said, we have something special tonight. It's our 7 and 7. And if you're new to Faith Christian Center, I know we have so many people who have joined us just since we've been doing online-only streaming, and so you're newer to our ministry and our church. Every once in a while, I'll do what I call 7 and 7, and I'll take seven people. And it usually is from our congregation. There's some people who serve in Team Faith, or our Faith Bible Institute graduates, or ministry school graduates, and sometimes I'll assign them a topic, and they'll share for seven minutes on a topic. And tonight, we have one person from Team Faith sharing. He's part of the first responders, and he's sharing. I know he's going to bless your life. Then we have two people from our faith leadership team. They're going to share. And then we have some special guests, some good friends of mine and family members who are going to share with you, including Pastor David Winston, Pastor Kylie Gatewood, and her mom, Reverend Shelley Brim, as well as Pastor Andre Butler and Pastor Michelle Ferguson. It's going to be a night full of faith, hope, and love. So thank you for tuning in. And as soon as 7 to 7 is over, I'm leading us in communion. Amen. Now go with me to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to set the platform for what we're ministering on tonight because we're going to, the theme is the Last Supper for the 7 and 7. Luke chapter 22. Now the feast, verse 1, now the feast of the unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. Then enter Satan to Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in absence of the multitude. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said, Where are we going to prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher, water, follow him into the house where you enter in. And I'm going to let our first 7-7 speaker share on the rest of this. But one of the things we want to point out, that even in times like this, there is provision for you. God had provision for them to have the Last Supper, and God has provision for you. I just wanted to say thank you to all of the first responders out there, all of those who are deemed essential during this time. Truly, truly thank you for all that you do. Um, literally out there risking your lives so that society can have a sense of normalcy and safety. And from a fellow first responder, essential worker, thank you guys. Uh, I know exactly what you guys are going through and dealing with. So God bless you. Uh, I wanted to uh, point out a little bit about God and his preparedness, right? And how his preparedness is not reactive, but it's proactive. I know a lot of us in these ominous and bleak times, you know, we have our mask on and we have our gloves on now. Um, but that's a testament to what's been going on, right? We see this virus and this pandemic, so we're reacting to it by being prepared, and that's great. Um, but God, on the other hand, He operates on a proactive preparedness, and I'll get into a little bit about what that looks like. So uh, some of you who don't know me, uh, I am married and I have a two-year-old son who I love and I probably talk about him a little bit too much, but yeah, I'm that dad. Um, but I'm a nature guy. I love taking walks. I love getting out there and walking around our lake. And sometimes I'll bring my son and our dog with me. And while we're walking our nature path, sometimes I'll notice maybe a snake on the ground. So I'll, you know, brush it away so my son doesn't get bitten by it or 
I'll notice maybe a rabbit hole or a snake den. So I'll carry him for, you know, a few feet just so he can get over it. Um, there may be some thicket and some brush with some thorns on it. So I'll brush those out of the way so he can get through uh, without any harm. And all the while, my son and dog, they're just looking at the water and, you know, looking at the birds overhead, right? Completely oblivious to what's going on. And it just spoke briefly to us and our lives. God's is prepare, God is preparing a way for us. And all the while, we don't even notice. I wanted to turn your attention to Deuteronomy 31, 8, where it says, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you, right? He will be with you. He will not fail or forsake you. And a favorite part of the scripture is do not fear or do not be dismayed, right? As Christians, our job is to walk in faith and faith and fear cannot coexist in the same realm, in the, in the same realm or in the same atmosphere, right? Um, I know this time of year is truly special for us in the faith uh, because it's Resurrection Day approaching, right? Where we get to come together and celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's probably one of my favorite times of the year because I'm always reminded of what true love looks like. Um, so I wanted to turn your attention uh, really quickly to Luke 22. And this is interesting because it shows um, how the enemy operates but then it also shows how God operates through all of that as well, right? So uh, if you turn, if you have your Bible with you or your cell phone, go to Luke 22, and we'll go right to verse 3. And it starts with saying, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Now, we can stop right there because it just highlights how the enemy operates, right? He wanted this to be done when no one was watching behind closed doors. Um, he wants to isolate Jesus and somehow break him down in his lonesome, right? And that's usually how he how he operates. And we can see a lot of that going on today. Um, and verse 7, as we continue, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Now, this may seem like Jesus didn't know or was oblivious to what was going on. Um, and Peter asked the question, uh, well, it says the disciples asked the question, Where do you want us to prepare for it? Right. And then verse 10 says he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Uh, verse 12, he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the enemy was operating behind closed doors, God had already prepared a way for his will to be done, right? 
and I want you guys to keep that at your very focus. When everything seems uncertain, when everything seems unsure, when fear seems to be uh, crippling this entire society, remember that God has already prepared a way for you to walk in victory, walk in faith, walk in righteousness, and God will continue to keep us through it all. Uh, happy Resurrection Day as it, as it approaches. I love you guys. Faith over fear always in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome back. I know you enjoyed that. And so when we're talking about the Last Supper, one of the things that they haven't at the Last Supper, when you look in context, is it's the Passover meal. And I want to share with you the importance of the Passover meal. Minister Isom, he's our Team Faith head coach here at Faith Christian Center. He's going to share with you the importance of the Passover meal. Hello, Faith family. My name is Minister Isom, and my assignment this evening is to speak to you about the Passover Supper. Passover was a biblical feast when the Jews would remember and celebrate with thanksgiving God's delivering them from the bondage of Egyptian slavery. God, through Moses, commanded the Jews to slay a lamb of the first year, take that blood of that lamb, and apply it to the side posts and the upper doorposts of their homes to protect them from the destroyer. The lamb that was slain was roasted with fire and eaten with unleavened bread. This Passover feast was an ordinance of the Old Testament. This feast was of great importance to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And because, and, uh, because prior to his crucifixion, he had a great desire to eat this feast with his disciples. Jesus, even having foreknowledge of all that would transpire, meaning his crucifixion, going before the high priest, being falsely accused, being beaten by those individuals that were there, being scourged and being crucified, even with knowledge of all that will happen between that time and when he was crucified, yet he still wanted to eat this Passover feast with his disciples. So we look at Luke, the 22nd chapter in the 15th verse, and it tells us there, and it says, and he said unto them, speaking of Jesus, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, this scripture in the King James is a little blind to us because we, don't, we do not use that terminology in our modern-day language. So I read it from a couple of other translations to give you more of an impact of how strongly Jesus desired to eat this Passover meal with them. From the message translation, it reads, and said, speaking of Jesus, you've no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. And from the Weymouth translation, it reads, he said unto them, earnestly have I longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This meal was of great importance to Jesus because it was a revelation of who he was and what his purpose was. The word of God, of course, is, is filled with types and shadows. As we know, the Old Testament is Christ concealed, and the New Testament is Christ revealed. So we see here in the New Testament that Christ is revealed as being the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. 
In John, the first chapter, in the 29th verse, it reads, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So we see here that Jesus is the true Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. So the Word of God clearly establishes that Jesus is the true Lamb of God, and Jesus set an ordinance in the New Testament of the Passover meal for believers. He said, this you should do in remembrance of me. The Old Testament ordinance of the, new, of the uh, Passover occurred just once a year during that week of the Feast of the Passover. Jesus gave us as New Testament believers this ordinance of the Passover supper that we should do it, not, and he didn't specify how often we should do it. He said, just when we do it, do it in remembrance of him. So in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, in the 25th verse, it reads, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And why was this meal of such importance to Jesus, so important to his disciples? And why is it so important also unto us? Well, in John, the sixth chapter and the 53rd through the 56th verses, it says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. I don't know about you, but after reading that scripture and knowing the, the seriousness of taking this Passover supper, also as we call it today, Holy Communion. I want to take it because it will give me eternal life. It will give me, it will allow me to be raised up in the last day. Also, Christ will dwell in me, and I will dwell in him. It says in Ephesians 1-7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Also, we know that there's only one way to be saved. That's, that is to receive Jesus Christ. Believe that he died and rose from the dead. And that precious blood prayed the price of our redemption. And 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20, it reads, For as much as ye know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversations received, by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. When we take the Passover meal, when we take Holy Communion, we are honoring the memory of what Jesus did for us on the cross, 
we are honoring him for his death, burial, and resurrection. And then once we take it, we rejoice because we are so thankful for what he has done for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. Welcome back. I know you enjoyed that. So as we go into our next 7-7 speaker, one of the things you have to understand is that when Jesus said, verse 20 of Luke 22, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. What is this? This is a new covenant. And covenants take place at altars. This is a covenant. This is a testament. But you know what's so wonderful about Jesus? You know, I knew this, but I was listening to a song that recently came out a week ago by a worship leader that I really like. And she said in this that Jesus made the altar into a table. And that's what he did. So let's look at the power of covenant with Pastor David Winston. Everybody, this is David Winston, and I'm excited because Easter Sunday is right around the corner. As we know, there's so much to celebrate, but it is a huge thing to be able to celebrate the uh, death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I wanted to give you a quick word on the Last Supper and the covenant that happened and, and just kind of what all of that meant. You know, it talks about in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 17, on the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, where do you want us to prepare this Passover meal for you? And then Jesus responded and told him, hey, go into the city and you'll find a man and tell him we're going to have Passover dinner at your house. How would you like if somebody came and told you that me and my friends are going to come have dinner at your house? Try explaining that to your wife. But uh, nonetheless, it happened. And this was the first day of a festival called the Passover. And so the Last Supper was part of a larger thing called the Passover. Well, where did the Passover come from? It, it didn't just start when Jesus was born into the earth. The Passover actually came all the way from the Old Testament. And if you go to the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 12, You'll see that you remember when um, Moses, uh, he was talking to Pharaoh and he was trying to get Pharaoh to uh, allow the children of Israel to leave, to release them out of slavery and bondage. And Pharaoh was hard hearted and uh, hard headed. And he said no over and over again. Well, we know that in order to make Pharaoh let them go, that plagues now came down and plagued the Egyptians. And so the 10th plague was outlined um, in Exodus. And in chapter 12, it starts talking about how that 10th plague, it was going to operate and how the children of Israel could be prepared and that they could be immune to the plague that was coming. In Exodus chapter 12, it was roughly around um, 1447 BC. And the death angel was going to come during the 10th plague and it was going to kill all of the firstborn children to get Pharaoh to finally release them out of captivity. But what the Lord instructed Moses to tell all the people is he said, go and kill a lamb and take that blood and put the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel comes, he'll pass over that household because he'll know that you belong to God. And what was important to note is that that represented, that blood on the doorpost represented the fact that 
those people belong to God and death could not enter. It talks about in verse 13, death could not enter. And so this lamb was sacrificed so God's people could be spared from death. It talks about in uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5 that this was a lamb without blemish. Now, it, this was kind of almost a foreshadowing for what was to come, because if you remember in John chapter 1 and verse 29, when John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming as he was coming to be baptized by John the Baptist, what did John the Baptist say? He said, hey, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Notice how these two parallels run together. And it was a lamb without blemish in Exodus that had to be slain and the blood put on the doorpost. And now we come to the New Testament and Jesus who was the sample son. He was the perfect person because he had no sin and he never committed sin. So he could be considered a lamb without blemish. And we know that eventually he went on the cross to uh, be crucified and be a sacrifice for our sins. But this is very interesting. It talks about in Exodus chapter 14, or uh, actually Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, it says this, this is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. So when they killed the lamb without blemish, they took the blood, put it on the doorpost, and that protected them. And then they were to eat the meat of the lamb. And then they were also to cook unleavened bread. So there could be no leavening agents in the bread. And they were supposed to do that. And they, they celebrated this feast all week. And so for seven days, this happened. And now we fast forward to the New Testament and we go to Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 26 through 28, this is the first day of the Passover. So now this is the, um, um, this is the last supper. And it says this, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took of the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So Jesus was explaining what was about to happen at the cross. And we know that covenants are agreements between two parties. And so for a new covenant to be shed or a new covenant to be uh, agreed upon, um, there had to be a shedding of blood. And so we have the old covenant that was the law, but now when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, his blood was shed. Now a new covenant, a new agreement was, was uh, put in place. And the great thing about this new agreement is that this agreement wasn't with man. See, the old agreement was with man, and that meant that we had 600 plus laws that we had to keep in order to continue to be in right standing with God. But God, he said, no, I'm going to make this covenant between me and my son. And that way, this covenant can never be nullified. This covenant can never be messed up, can never be eradicated, because it's with two people who have never sinned and will never commit sin. And so, uh, two spirits rather. And so we have God and Jesus now making this covenant between themselves. And now we, you and me, we're the beneficiaries of this covenant. And so it even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says um, that you are a new creation in Christ, that all things have passed away and all things have become new. So we are the beneficiaries of this covenant that God made with Jesus because it says now we are in Christ. We are 
in him. That's good news because this new covenant is not based on what we've done. It's based on what Jesus did. And that's good because there's no way we can mess it up. And this communion that we take, it is symbolic that we are symbolically putting the blood of the lamb over our bodies. That's why sickness and death is illegal activity in your body. Because as you take communion, as you are uh, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we know that sickness, pain, disease, and death cannot touch your body. And so that's good news. So the last supper that we see was a foreshadowing of the new covenant that God was making through Jesus. And that was a covenant that could never be broken because it was no longer based on what we've done. It's based on what Jesus did. And that's what I call good news. So thank you so much for watching. My name is David Winston, reminding you that the best is yet to come. Welcome back. You know, one of the things we look at the Gospel of John, especially John 14, 15, 16, such wonderful, important chapters to our Christian walk, that this is all happening around the table. These are some of the last discussions Jesus has with his 12 disciples. By this point, Judas has left, so it's now the down to 11. And Jesus is sharing with them. And so the next few messages you'll hear from Pastor Michelle Ferguson, Pastor Andre Butler, Pastor Kylie Gatewood, and Reverend Shelley Brim is about John 14, 15, and 16. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Michelle Ferguson, and it is certainly my privilege to be able to speak to you for a few minutes. I'm going to, uh, I guess my foundation scripture for what I want to talk about for the next couple of minutes is John 14, 1. And Jesus himself is here speaking, and I think this scripture rings louder now than it ever has, even in my own personal life, and I'm sure in your life too. Jesus actually says this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. You know, uh, those words are so on time. They were on point when they were written. They were on point when they were spoken, and they're on point right now. Let not your heart be troubled. What's interesting about this passage of scripture is that if you read into John chapter 13, you'll be able to find out what was the context in which Jesus was speaking this. He was talking to his disciples at the time and he was getting to the place where he knew that he was getting ready to go through the crucifixion and the resurrection and then ascending to the father. Well, that was going to mean a very, very big change for the disciples. They had gotten comfortable living their lives, serving Jesus, walking with him. They kind of knew what to expect. They did what he said. And I'm sure there was just a comfort level of having him in the flesh. Just touch him, feel him, see him, you know. And so Jesus is saying to them, he's saying, you know, I'm getting ready to go. And where I go, you cannot go with me. And Peter is saying, okay, well, how come I can't go with you? And I think that really just signifies what a lot of us are feeling right now. What happens when you can't really specifically say what is happening in the future? You don't know what's happening tomorrow. You're in a time where things are different than what you're used to. And this is when Jesus looks at him and says, have faith in God. Or, uh, well, he says, well, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, have faith in God and have faith in me. And it comes down to that. Despite the fact that most of us have never, ever been through a world pandemic in our lifetime before. Um, and we're facing situations and circumstances um, that we've never faced before. And, I know here in Michigan where we live, we've been on lockdown going on into our third week and and we're not sure when we're coming out of lockdown and 
and it can be very unsettling. But I want you to notice that Jesus never gave the disciples an excuse to be troubled. Just because you don't know what's going on doesn't mean that you should let your heart be troubled. Or another way of saying that is letting fear into your life. First of all, he said, let not your heart be troubled, which means that it is your decision how you respond. That's what he's saying to the disciples. And he didn't just say, hey, listen, just be this bionic person who never ever deals with fear. He says, let not your, um, your heart be troubled. How? By believing in God and believing in him. I know, um, unfortunately, I'm sure all of us know people who have been affected by this virus. And I know some personal, uh, a personal friend of mine who, uh, my age and unfortunately passed away. And I remember when I first got that phone call, there was so much fear to just kind of hit me. And I was just, you know, I got to the place where I had to make a decision to really, really up my word time because you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing, not having heard. And I knew that I was being crushed with so much fear and so much anxiety and so much sadness. And, you know, I started thinking, well, he was a believer. I'm a believer. How do I know? La, la, la. And, and Satan will oblige you and he will give you all the stuff in your mind just to help you stay in fear. In fact, um, when you're looking at how fear even really got started in this earth, you got to go back to the beginning, to Adam and Eve. You know, in, in Genesis chapter three, when God shows up in the cool of the garden, cool, uh, in the garden, in the cool of the day, and he's looking for Adam and Eve, they were hiding because they were afraid. Now, how do people live in imperfection end up in a place where they're hiding because they're in fear? I'll tell you how. They never, ever check the contradictions in their life. What kind of contradictions? The contradictions against God's word. Satan has not changed. His tactics have not changed. And what he does is the word of God is spoken and Satan will always present you with a contradiction or an alternate view. Um, Adam and Eve, God had given them the commandments. He had told them, he had blessed them with so much. And he told them, don't eat this tree, not because I'm hating, but because if you eat this tree, it will hurt you. You shall surely die. That was the word of God. That was the truth. But the serpent showed up doing what he always does. Do you really think God was telling the truth? Or here's an alternate motive that he might have had. And maybe if you actually eat the, tr the tree, it won't kill you to make you as smart as him. And contradictions. You got to do with contradictions what we do with bad mail. Return to sender. If you've ever bought something and you got duped and you thought you were getting some level of something and it came in the mail and it wasn't what you asked for, you send that thing back and you get a refund on your money. And that's what you got to do. The word of God is very clear. Anytime that, you know, I, well, I'm a Fitbit girl and I always get into these competitions with my friends and, you know, who can walk the most and my husband's in it and I get beat every week. But once this thing started, I started winning. You know why? Because every single time I find myself with all those thoughts coming in that are contradicting what the word of God says to me, I get up no matter what time it is and I walk around and I speak the word. Sometimes I've even had to do it through tears. Sometimes I've had to do it when I was shaken. Listen, I am the righteousness of God. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 by my right hand, but it will not come nigh me. And you know, one of the other things I really had to do, because again, I can't control everybody else's heart and I can't judge everybody else's heart or situation. And that was one of the things that was really tempting to 
to shut me up and shut me down was, you know, looking at other people. How come this happened to them? And I'm no better than them. And what about this over here? And the Lord just kind of really checked me. And he said, this is between your heart and me. Do you believe me or do you not believe me? And some of you might be saying, well, you know, it's a lot going on and I don't even know what I'm going to do. I know what you're saying, but this is where you have to be aggressive to guard your own heart. I have spoken the word sometimes hours upon hours upon hours to allow myself to enter into the peace of faith in what God says because the news will tell you all the negative things we hear all the negative things all the sad stories but don't forget the most important story of all Jesus died on the cross and he bore our sicknesses and our pains including COVID-19 have faith in God let not your heart be troubled you are a child of God he loves you everything's going to be all right hey faith fam I'm honored that Pastor Carrick asked me to jump in and share as a part of what God's doing there. And I'm going to start in John chapter 15 and verse 7. Of course, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. The scripture has a number of elements. The scripture, of course, is personal. It's conditional. It's chronological. He's saying, if you abide in me, he's, of course, saying that whether or not we receive what we will is dependent on what we do. And, of course, I believe it's chronological because you first have to abide in him. Then his words have to abide in you before you can get to him causing you to bless him, blessing your life the way he wants to bless your life. And so uh, I think a big part of what is on my heart to share and what Pastor Carrick and I discussed briefly is the importance of of making sure that we are fully abiding in him. Of course, if you make a decision to follow Jesus, you are now officially in Christ, right? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. And so you are a part of the beloved. But God doesn't just want you uh, to be a part of his family. He doesn't want you to just be a Christian. He wants you to walk with him. And that's what the Bible says about Enoch in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 5, it says he walked in habitual fellowship with God. In fact, it said the same thing about Noah. That's why he was the one that was chosen by God to basically continue uh, mankind's existence on the planet. And so God wants us walking with him. That's what he did with Adam. That's what he did with Enoch. That's what he did with Noah. That's what he did with Jesus. That's what he did with Paul, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of times I think when we think about the Christian life, we kind of leave that element out. In fact, I think that's part of why when people think about Christianity, they, they think about a religion instead of a relationship. No, this is a relationship. This isn't about keeping a bunch of rules. This isn't about, you know, just doing the right thing all the time. Everything that our Christian life is should come out of our relationship with him. And so during this coronavirus pandemic, during this time when so many of us are quarantined, as I am sitting in an office at home, uh, it's important for us to actually take advantage of this time to establish the habits that maybe we should have had all along. Uh, basically, the Bible is very clear that we ought to seek God every day. You know, the psalmist says, early will I seek thee. That word early also means earnestly will I seek thee. In other words, it's my priority to seek you, God. And we ought to do that. We ought to make being with God 
our priority. Christ is our life. It's what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, right? Not a part of our life. He's not just our Sunday mornings. He's not just the ambulance or the emergency room doctor for us. He is our life. And everything that God has for us, everything that God wants to do through us, comes through that relationship. And so during this time, I encourage you to do what I'm doing, which is actually spending even more time with God than I was before. I really want to encourage you as you get up later, if that's what you're doing, or maybe getting up earlier because you have to work, uh, even if it's from home or maybe you're an essential worker, find the time to just be with him. Start off by thanking God for all the good things in your life, all the good things that he has done for you. Even if you're saying, I, I can't think of many good things or you're dealing with some horrible circumstances right now because you're dealing with the virus or people you care about are dealing with the virus, even worse, somebody has lost their life that you really care about. Still, there are good things in your life, things that God has done for you, and you need to just focus on those things and thank him for that. David said, the Bible said, David encouraged himself in the Lord in the middle of a horrible situation. And you need to do the same thing so you can keep moving forward and hear from God and go into the future God has for you. Praise him for what he's done. Boast about how good he is and then worship him. And then after you've done that, worshiping him for who he is, then go ahead and begin to pray. Pray in your understanding and pray in English and uh, there are so many people to pray for. There's so many things to pray for. Some of us, we need the wisdom of God right now. This is a great time to hear from God about what he has actually called you to do. This is a great time to hear from God about whether or not you are following his plan or your own plan. This is a good pause for some of us. And so uh, in spite of all the horrible things that are going on, use this pause to hear from God and then pray in the spirit. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit helps us to pray for what we may not know to pray for. It talks about supplication and intercession, which are prayers on behalf, primarily on behalf of other people. And people need our prayers right now. People who are sick with this virus, people who are dealing with grief because loved ones have passed away. Our, our frontline workers, whether they're in healthcare or they're uh, essential workers working at grocery stores or flight attendants, they need our prayers. Our leaders need our prayers right now. So pray in the spirit and let the Holy Spirit guide you in what to pray for each day. And then just stay there. Uh, there are times where I've planned to pray for an hour and God's taken me to two. Uh, there are times where I've planned to pray for, you know, two hours and God had me stop at an hour and a half. The point is, let God guide you in that. Pray until you have prayed through. And what you'll find is you'll come out of that prayer time with more peace. You'll come out of it with more strength. You'll frankly feel better. And you'll also come out of it with answers from God. I know for me, there are some pretty major things going on in my life. I've been facing some serious crises for quite a while, and God's been talking to me. And so uh, allow God to take what Satan meant for evil and turn it to good in your life. Let's make a decision to be closer to God than we have ever been before. Recognizing what the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 7, if you come close to me, I will come close to you. God is ready to give you some faith experiences right now. He wants this to be a time where you remember that this is when God said this and this is when God did that. When you can set up an altar like in the Old Testament and call it a name and say, that's the moment when my life changed. I love you. It's an honor to serve you and to be a blessing to you and know that God has a future for you. 
Hello, Faith family. It's Kylie Oaks Gatewood and my mom, Shelly Brim. Hi, mom. How are you? We're so glad to be with you all tonight. And we have the honor to come to you as a part of the 7 and 7 series and talk a little bit about John 16. Mom, my favorite part of John 16 is this one little verse right here. I mean, it's all real juicy and good, but, my, but the part that I really hone in on is, but when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak on his own, but only what he hears from the Father. And he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. Man, what a, what, what verse is that? That is John 16 and verse 13, okay. starting, mm -hmm. and that was in the Passion Translation. Yeah. And here's the thing about the Holy Ghost. He tells you things to come. Mm -hmm. How important is that in these last days? Oh my goodness. Are we living in the last days or what? I think so because I'm currently quarantined with five other people. <laughs> We're in your brother's house. Five girls uh, ages nine to two and uh, it's life. <laughs> Lots of life. It's reality. Lots it's a reality show every day. Mm -hmm. It's cooking. It's cleaning. It's uh, you know personalities who love one another and then all of a sudden they're not walking in love anymore mm -hmm. toward each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is why this, <laughs> when Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly, mm -hmm. he didn't come to give us a new religion. And, and thank God. Thank God. And he said to those disciples, he said, don't leave town until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he put them under a special quarantine. He was in, they were in quarantine up there in the upper yes, room. Exactly. It says that he talked about the things pertaining to the kingdom for 40 days. Mm -hmm. And then it says on, they were in one accord. And when the day of Pentecost, thank God they were in one accord. Mm -hmm. But it says when the day of Pentecost fully came. So the primary um, purpose you see in God is fulfilling that feast, the feast of Shaviot, or the, Sh I sound like mother now. You do sound like her. Uh, or seven weeks, we call it Pentecost. We know someone. And yeah. on that feast, uh, the, the beginning of it was when they received the Ten Commandments, uh -huh. 50 days after being uh, the Passover, mm -hmm. being released from Egypt. And then this feast of Shaviot, or Pentecost, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And it was so important then, Jesus said, how much more it is important now. Mm -hmm. In these last days, we're, and he said he's a helper. Right. He's a paraclete. He's a, he's a comforter. He's a standby. He's a strengthener. He's an encourager. Yeah. We just read that. Backing in, up to 14. Uh -huh, and it talks about how in, in the Greek word, the parakletos, a technical word that could be translated defense attorney. Hmm. Oh, don't you love in the it, like in the courtroom of heaven? You have the prosecuting attorney, which is Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He might say you're not doing the quarantine right. Uh, you don't wear your mask. They'd be judging. <laughs> or even, I mean, or you, if you're religious, I'm not religious, but your friends, if they could see you now, you know, here you are in your home. But it's not what who we are in public that counts. It's what we do in Thank our God. homes when no one's looking, mm -hmm. and we see this word of God, and we go to the word, and it's and we read scriptures. It says, "Being strengthened with might in." Ephesians chapter 3, being strengthened with might by his spirit. Yeah. 
in the inner man. Mm -hmm. So there is that ministry of the Holy Spirit to strengthen uh, the real you, the real me, the real you, our inner man. How important we need strengthening in these last days. Mm -hmm. As yeah. we yield to the Spirit, as we yield praying in other tongues, yes. there's that strengthening. The Ephesians chapter 3, what does that say in the Passion? I would kind of like to see what, what you have there. And if you, I encourage you, if you have your Bible, to turn along with us. And allowing our eyes to see the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And it says, oh, in verse number 16 of chapter 3, that He would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Has he run out of riches of his glory during no. all of this? No. no. To be strengthened with might. How? In your inner man. By his mm -hmm. spirit. Yep. In the inner man. So it's very important in these last days. I think it's the most effective prayer we can pray for one another that as we're strengthened with might by the Spirit, mm -hmm. that we become a thousand times bigger than the problem on the outside. Yeah. And instead of that looming mountain that seems so big, we we are so strengthened by the Holy Ghost, the same person who raised Christ from the dead, mm -hmm. the third person of the Godhead. Mm -hmm. And as we meditate on his bigness and how he's strengthening us as we pray, yeah. as we look to the word of God, which is our milk, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, mm -hmm. the spirit-breathed word, mm -hmm. that there is a metamorphosis, there is a strengthening, there is something on the inside of us. And what seemed to be so looming is absolutely so small, mm -hmm. and we jump right over it. And it can't shake you. It can't no. move you. The tiniest little bit of a wind or a wave can't distract you. Why? Because you're strengthened. He is strengthening you. Yes. And he's showing you things to come. Yes. And, and, no, and he's not surprised by anything. Mm -hmm. And when you take the time to tap into what he knows... And what he's received from the Father, and he reveals it to you. The Amplified says he reveals, discloses, and transmits the mind of God to you. And and so as he's transmitting the mind of God to you, you're not shaken. You're not moved. No. And and that's one reason why Jesus didn't, you know, really love going wanting to at the beginning, what can this cup be taken from me? Can can you take this? But he knew the heart of the Father, there was a purpose. So he went forward with boldness and did what he needed to do. And that's the same with you. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can go forward with boldness in these times. Tap in. Be strengthened with might. By his mighty power on the inside of you. Mm -hmm. And and as you go about your day and as you're doing what we need to do, whether whatever that is, whatever it looks like, you are strengthened in Jesus' name. Hello, everybody. I want you to go with me in the scripture. We're going to talk about the importance of worship in these bad times. The importance of giving God glory and, and worshiping him and seeking his face in these times. I want you to go to Matthew 26 and 30 real quick. It's very short. Grab a Bible, pull it up on your phone. Matthew 26 and 30. It reads, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. It's really short. I'll read it again. Matthew 26 and 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of where were they going? To the Mount of Olives. What did they do before they went there? They sung a hymn. 
what I've learned is that at the end of the Mount of Olives is Gethsemane. It was a setup for a time that was needed to happen. It's not a fun time. It was a hard time. Gethsemane was rough. Gethsemane was, was real rough. But the preparation before going to the Mount of Olives was worship. The cool thing about olives, olives is or the olive branch has been used as a symbol of peace. So it doesn't shock me that they would sing a hymn and sing worship before they go into the Mount of Olives, before this devastating time that was about to happen. This is all the setup. But what's important to know is that whatever situation you're dealing with it, good or bad, but especially the bad, to lift your hands and begin to give God glory. Well, that doesn't make sense. Why would I give God glory when a bad thing is happening? Listen, when bad things are happening, you need to put your face to God. The only one who has the answer to our situation when crazy stuff is happening, you need to put your face to God. He is the answer to our problem. I seek the Lord when everything is going wrong. Don't get on the internet. Don't seek for the don't seek the government, the government for your peace when bad things are going wrong. You seek ye first the kingdom of God. When crazy stuff are happening all around you, you want to seek God. In, in Isaiah 26 and 3, it says, Thou will keep him in what? Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in some of y'all are wondering how the people around you, some people you know that go to your church, some saints of God, how are they not going crazy in this time right now? My friends, look at me. How you doing? You good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm great. I'm eating. I'm cooking every day. And you want to know why I have a peace that passes all understanding? It's because I trust in God and I keep my mind on Him. When things go crazy in my life, I go right to God. God, you know this is going on. It's me and you. How are we going to handle this situation? I stay right there. And then that peace that passes all understanding, it comes upon me and it guides me and it guards my heart and mind and it keeps me in the place that I need to be. You don't need to be distressed. You don't need to be perplexed. You don't need to be in despair. You need to be in peace. In the presence of the almighty God. For in his presence there's fullness of joy, peace, pleasures evermore. I don't care if the world around you is screaming and distressed and perplexed. You can have peace. You can literally have peace in the midst of the storm. Remember Jesus was on that boat and it was a storm and he was knocked down sleep. I'm thinking about getting sleep during this COVID crisis. I'm trying to get more sleep because I've got peace. I don't have time for worry. I don't have time for distress. I don't have time to be nervous. I don't have time to be worried. But I'll tell you what I do have time is to do. I have time to lift my hands. I have time to open up my mouth and say, God, you are good. I have time to say, God, you are worthy. I have time to say, you know what, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I understand that you are good. 
I don't understand what's happening around me, but I understand that you're amazing. This day felt weird, but I know that you made it, so I say that it's a good thing. This day you made, I look at the news and they're going crazy. I, I go on the internet and, and people are losing it, but you made this day. This is the day the Lord has made, so my choice is to rejoice and be glad in this day. I choose to seek Hallelujah. We will seek you first, Lord. You will hear our voices early in the morning and late in the night. We will sing your praises, giving you the glory, offering our lives to you, a holy sacrifice. We will seek you first, say we will seek you first. You will hear our voices early in the morning and late in the night. And we will sing your praises, giving you the glory, offering our When my heart 
chapter 1. The blood of Jesus protects you. As we already looked at tonight, the foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus seen in the Passover, where the death angel had to pass over. That's where the word comes from. The death angel had to pass over then because of the blood of the doorpost. Just like the scarlet thread around Rahab's house that protected her when Jericho fell. The blood of Jesus protecting your house. You must have faith in what the blood of Jesus has done for you. So go ahead. This is something I encourage my congregation to do every day, but you can do it with me right now. Repeat it after me. We're about to exercise our authority and plead the blood of Jesus. Say, I plead the blood of Jesus over myself, spirit, soul, body, over everything that concerns me, over my family, over my church, over my finances, over my relationships, over my house, over my businesses, over all that I have. I draw the bloodline around it that the enemy cannot cross. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. The blood of Jesus is against COVID-19. The blood of Jesus was shed for us to be protected, to be delivered, to be made whole. We plead the blood of Jesus over our neighborhoods, over our community, over our cities, over our state, and over our nation. We hold the blood against the enemy and we bind terrorism in all forms. We bind mass shootings in all forms. We bind drug trafficking and sex trafficking. We bind gang activity, the blood of Jesus against you. We hold the blood against the spread of this disease. Jesus paid the price for COVID-19 2,000 years ago. So we hold on to the power of the blood. Remember the blood was shed for your healing. Remember the Bible says, by Jesus' stripes you are healed. And by Jesus' stripes you were healed. Blood was shed so that you can be healed and walk in divine health. Even healed and delivered from COVID-19. The blood of Jesus is greater than COVID-19. Say it with me. Say the blood of Jesus is greater than COVID-19. Believing in what the blood has done for you and thanking God for the blood. You may partake of the cup. Father, I thank you for the blood. I thank you for the blood. I thank you has washed away all of our sins. I thank you has delivered us from the authority of darkness. I think it's by your blood we are healed and made whole. It's by your blood we are preserved and delivered and protected. We thank you for what the blood is doing in our lives. We thank you for what the blood has already done in our lives. Because the blood has been applied, the Holy Spirit has a place to live within us and rest upon us. We thank you for the work of the Holy Ghost. And we are his temple because the blood has been shed. We give you all the glory.